0: If your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21, going through the end of that first chapter in Mark. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21, going through the end of that first chapter in verse 45. And when they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. I've been struck this week uh, in the number of people I've seen, talked to, seen posts on uh, Facebook or Twitter from who have problems with people who are putting up a Christmas tree already. Uh, I confess we are typically those people. Uh, November 1st is our Christmas tree day. That's, uh, my wife loves traditions very much and from the first time that we had a Christmas tree, which was a year ago, she said that is our tradition. We're going to do it every year, November 1st, Christmas tree, watching a Christmas movie. Uh, we didn't do it this year because we were even really living in our house on November 1st. Uh, but as soon as we have every box unloaded, the next box to be unloaded is going to be the Christmas tree. Uh, And I think part of the astonishment that I had when I heard some people who have real problems with people putting up a Christmas tree early, they say, how dare you let Christmas encroach upon Thanksgiving's territory? I am not that person because I would love to celebrate Christmas all year round. If it was acceptable for me to sing Christmas music or to have Christmas hymns sung in, like, May, we'd be doing it. Uh, I don't think you guys would enjoy that, and I don't think many people would accept that, so we don't. Uh, But I would love for that to be the case. Christ came. He showed up. Of all the other gods, of all the other deities that people claim to worship, our guy showed up. He's the only one who is the God, the only God who came in the flesh as a man. He showed up. He came. That's a big deal. That's worth celebrating. That's what the whole season is about. That's why it deserves more than 24 days in December. It deserves the whole year. Christ came. From our text this morning, we should be able to see five reasons why Christ came. Mark has walked us through in this first chapter who Christ is, how he began his ministry. But today in the text, we get to see five reasons why Christ came, why he showed up. Christ came, first of all, to teach with authority. Here in the beginning, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Christ came to teach with authority, which we'll see in verse 22, but he is the teacher. That's a noun, a name that is given to him over and over in the Gospels. He is the teacher. They call him rabbi, teacher. He's a teacher. That was the first thing he did immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and he was teaching. So he must have something to teach us. If he is the teacher, if that is who he is, that's what he does, then we have something to learn from him. So often I think we walk in these doors, particularly on a Sunday morning, and everything's just kind of old hat. Everything is exactly as we expected it to be. We think, I know the people, I know the songs. I know what that guy's gonna say. What time are we gonna go to lunch? That's the one thing that very... But Christ has something to teach us. We have something to learn. That should be our expectation when we come in. Not that there's something new every week, but that you learn the same old things every week. You hear them anew. You hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to you, You hear it, you receive it, you internalize it, and then you go out throughout the rest of your week and you live it out. That's what you're supposed to do when you come in these doors. Christ is the teacher. He has something to teach us. He has something to teach you. So we have something that we can learn from him. Not only is he a teacher, but he's a the teacher, and he teaches with authority, in verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Again, in verse 27, they were all amazed So they question among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His teaching, what makes it so different, is that it is authoritative. When he speaks, that is truth, through and through. That is how it is. Just as when he said in the beginning, Let there be light, there was light. He speaks, and it has immediate and real effect. So we should know that. We should hear that, and we should speak the words of Christ and trust that they are going to have their immediate effect. Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11, verses you've probably heard before. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When Christ speaks, it has effect. And Christ has spoken to you in this way. It has effect. It will have effect. When Christ speaks, things happen. So hear his words. Listen to him. Let him speak to you. Through this text, This morning, listen to what Christ is saying through this text. Let him speak to you and let the words have their immediate effect. I find, whenever I read Scripture, whenever I think about the words of Christ, that I should think of the words of Scripture more than I often do. I should speak the words of Scripture more than I often do. I find myself, every time I'm defending myself, when I'm debating, when I'm thinking through something, I wish that I had more scripture to bring to it. I wish that I had more scriptural thoughts to speak into it. Because the words of Christ are where the power are, that's where the authority is. And I would guess that that's true of you as well. Christ's teaching is authoritative. And it's different from man's because it is authoritative. His teaching, his authority is fundamentally different from what any man can say or do. See me, right now, preaching to you, I have some authority, a little. I do have authority. I'm the pastor of this church. I've been called by God into his service. I was recognized by you, the church, as one who meets the pastoral qualifications from scripture, and I was chosen by you in God's providence to shepherd you and lead you right now in this time. I do have some authority. Just like the scribes had some authority. But my teaching, the words out of my mouth, even right now in this pulpit, they don't carry with them the authority and weight that Christ's words did. That Christ's words do. My authority only comes in as much as I speak it out of this book. When I'm teaching to you, the best I can do is to present the words of God to you as clearly as I possibly can. Not some new revelation, not something I feel like God told me to tell you this morning. This is what he told me to tell you this one. This book, this text, that's what Christ has for you. I, the best I can do is open his authoritative inerrant word and speak the words of Christ to you. Because this teaching has authority. And this teaching leads to astonishment. Christ's teaching his words in this story, in this text. They carry authority and they bring about his ends, and that leads to astonishment in the people. They haven't encountered anything like this before. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as well one who authority, not as the scribes. What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They couldn't help but be astonished by his words and his message of salvation from sin through faith and repentance, and by his authority and power, both what he said and who he was. When God speaks, his people listen. So Christ came to teach with authority. But Christ also came to conquer the spiritual forces. It's the second reason in this text that Christ came today. Christ came to conquer the spiritual forces. He's not merely a man. What well, we can see in verse 23. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here again, at the beginning of Mark's gospel, chapter 1, he has said repeatedly over and over, this Jesus man is not merely a man. He is Jesus, the God man. He is God in the flesh. And here even the demons are speaking out and saying, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That's who Christ is. He is not merely a man. He's the divine conquering warrior who is stronger than the spiritual forces that he has come up against. And he commands those spirits. Verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. His teaching, his authority, allowed him not only to speak to men with authority, but to speak to demons with authority. Be silent. Come out of him. Those are the words of Christ. That's what he told the demon. He commands even the evil spirits. And the spirits obeyed him. Verse 26. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. That's what's crazy in this story. That not just does Christ speak, but that the demons obey. Look, speaking commands is easy. I do that all the time. I'm sitting at a light. Turn green. <laughs> Nothing. JC, say <clears> that Nothing. But Christ... Demons come out. And immediately, convulsing on the floor, the demon left. Him. That's how the command of Christ works. It's how the authority of Christ works. It's how the words of Christ work. Christ commands and the demons obey. He came to destroy the evil forces in the world. They knew it was coming. That's the the question in verse 24, have you come to destroy us? That wasn't, uh, are we going to be fine here, or are you going to destroy us? It was, have you come to destroy us now, or have you come to destroy us later? It says, is right now when you're going to destroy me, or are you going to let me hang out for a little bit longer? Christ came to destroy the evil forces. The answer was both yes, now and later. He came to destroy the evil supernatural forces for his people and his glory temporarily in this story by casting that demon out of this man. He destroyed the evil supernatural forces for his people and his glory climatically by carrying our sin with him to the cross, dying with it, taking it with him into the grave, raising himself back to life, defeating sin and death and all the evil forces in the world. And he will destroy the evil supernatural forces for his people and his glory ultimately when he returns. When he judges the world. When he casts all that is evil into the lake of fire. Christ came to destroy the evil forces in the world. That's why he came. That's the work that he had to perform. But he also came to heal the body. That's the third reason Christ came. Christ came to heal the body. He came to teach with authority and to conquer spiritual forces, but also to heal the body. He dwells with his people bodily. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. He entered their house. He didn't come as a man and live an aloof life apart from people. He didn't come as a man and live out in the wilderness by himself. He came and dwelled in and among his people. He was with them. He went into their homes. He spoke to them. He saw their families. (laughs) He sees a mother-in-law here. He dwelled among his people. He was among them. He lived his life right alongside their lives. They were able to see how Christ spoke, how he thought, how he treated people, how he prayed, how he reacted. In dwelling with his people, what he was doing with them was discipling them. He was making them like he was. He was making them people like he intended them to be. That is his discipleship program. He was forming and fashioning them into his own disciples by immersing them in his life, the life of Christ. And that is how discipleship is done best. Look, we can have strategies for discipleship. We can have programs, we can have books, we can have conferences, we can have meetings, we can have uh, a curriculum that we take everyone through to try to make them into disciples but the way that Christ made disciples was simply by being who he was around the people around him. He showed them who he was in his everyday, normal, average life that he was living through with them. They got to see him as he was. That's how he shaped them, that's how he formed them. Discipleship strategies aren't bad, we plan to have a few. But the best way to form disciples is just to live your lives together in such a way that those around you see who you are and see you following Christ and say, I can follow that guy as he's following Christ. I can follow her as she's following Christ. That's the best way to form disciples. That's the best way to see the people around you become more like Christ. They can see an example of what it looks like to love your wife well. They can see what it looks like to have a bad day and to keep on rejoicing. They can see what it looks like to raise children well. Organic discipleship, just normal everyday life as a disciple of Christ, is the best discipleship strategy we could have. You, in this room, becoming a disciple of Christ and living in close relational proximity to the people around you who are in this room, is going to make more disciples than anything I could ever do. Any program I could ever come up with. Any sermon series I could ever preach. That's how discipleship works best. This last Thursday, uh, Noah Pratt and Jordan Wilkie, his fiancé, came to my house, my and Destiny's house, and had dinner with us, had pizza, because we had no food at the time in our house. <laughs> we had dinner, we ate, we talked, we got to know each other, and then they helped us unload boxes. There wasn't any sort of program around that. And I don't think that was like a one-time, like yeah, Noah's a disciple, he came, <laughs> and he watched me on some of boxes. <laughs> but that's a start. We get to talk about how he thinks, what he wants to do. We get to talk about doctrine, we get to talk about who to read and how to read them. The same thing happened with his fiance and my wife. Simply being with people enables discipleship to happen. And that long obedience, that long haul of just doing that over and over throughout the rest of our lives, that is what makes disciples. That's what we can do. You might not know how to walk someone through a book of the Bible, but you can do that. You might not know how to explain the deepness of the Trinity and try to explain the the relations between the persons. You might not know how to do that, but you can do that. You can have someone over for dinner. You can pray with them. You can get to know them. You can show them how you follow Christ. And that's what Christ was doing in dwelling with his people. He dwelt with his people and knew their needs. And here, the needs that they had were to heal the individual. Verse 30, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So he was there. So they just said, Hey, Jesus. My mother-in-law is sick. She's got a fever. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals the individual here. Note the details that are showing both the compassion and the proximity of Jesus here. He entered the house. He came. He took her by the hand. He lifted her up. He was right there in the midst of the sickness, in the midst of the fever in the midst of the pain, he was right there because he was with and among his people coming to heal her, to heal the body here, to heal this individual, and he healed this individual, Simon's mother-in-law to show you that he could heal you, he healed the individual softly and tenderly the body matters to him it's not inconsequential to Jesus Part of this plan for His people is to give you a redeemed body. Your body's not going anywhere. It's going to be redeemed. So He wants the body to be well. He created it. He formed us and fashioned us while we were still in the womb. Christian, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Christ came to heal the body, but He came to heal the body to show you that He could heal the soul. He's not merely impressed with getting rid of a fever. wants to get rid of your spiritual sickness, to get rid of the sin which dwells inside of you. That's why he healed the body here. He gives a physical, literal, bodily healing, which you can see and know in order to reveal to you that he can also give you a spiritual, real healing of the soul. And on the day he returns, he's going to give both. He's going to give you a redeemed body, which is Healed forever and will never perish, and also a glorified soul which will never be blemished, will never have sin to deal with again. Christ heals the individual here in the story, but he also heals the many. Verse 32, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Christ healed the individual, the mother-in-law. He cares down to that level, but he also healed the many. He healed the crowds. He cares about crowds. He cares about quantity. He healed the many. They brought to him all who were sick, all oppressed by demons, and he healed them. His power wasn't diminished by the volume of people coming to him. He didn't run out out of juice as the day went on. He didn't get tired at the end. He didn't say, Well, I've met my quota for today. I've healed enough. They brought to him all, and they were healed. All the sickness they had, he healed it. Christ came to heal the body. But Christ also came to preach the gospel. In fact, that's actually the first and foremost reason Christ came, which we can see here in the text. Christ came to preach the gospel. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. See, he's praying here so that he can preach later. If Christ, who is God, is praying to God, then surely we who are not God should also be praying to God. He's praying here so that he can preach. That's specifically what he's doing. That was Christ's practice, so it should be ours, and even more specifically, mine. I have to confess, I don't know that I've prayed for this sermon as much as I should have. Of all the things I do during the week, of all the time I spend in my office, there's not a week that I stand before you and don't think, I probably should have prayed more. I wish I would have spent just a little bit more time praying over this text. A little bit more time praying over this sermon. A little bit more time praying over these words. I always kind of feel that way. No matter how much time I spend in my office praying for this sermon, praying for you, this church, praying over this passage before I stand and preach, I always feel like I should do it more. It was Christ's practice. It should be my practice. What's more, it should be your practice. So can I ask you, as people in this room, members of this church— to do me a favor, which will also, I think, help you. I would love if you would pray for me. Pray for me as your pastor. Pray for me to fulfill the qualifications of my office. Pray for me to love you well. But even more specifically, pray for this sermon every week. As I'm reading, as I'm writing, as I'm preparing, as I'm giving, pray for this sermon. Pray thou preach the gospel clearly and truly. Thou be prepared in both body, soul, and mind to open God's word and proclaim it to you, his people. I think that if we will all do that, myself included, hopefully, as the leader, <coughs> which you can follow as I follow Christ. I think if we will all do that, that's going to have a huge effect on our Sunday morning gatherings. I think it's going to have a huge effect on the effect of these words on you, Christ people. And uh, to help you out, I think it will also give be you better sense. <laughs> I'm sure you would love to have better sense. So please pray for me. That was Christ's practice, it should be ours. He prays so that he could preach, but he also goes so that he can tell. Verse 36 And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. He leaves where he is, where the people are already looking for him. Like, good marketing, good strategy, the way we would think of it is like, no, people are begging for you here, stay here. He doesn't do that. He prays, and then he says, yeah, I know everyone's looking for me here, let's go over there. Let's let them go look for me. Let me preach there also. Let us go on to the next town. When Christ heals, when Christ saves, he does not do so for some select few in one specific place, in one specific time, in one specific people. He does it for all. To the crowds, to the next town, whatever that next town may be. I love the people in this room as your pastor. The more I get to know you, the more I love you. Hopefully I can also grow to love you as a friend, a fellow brother in Christ. And this church is known, not only within the church, but also in the community, for having such great fellowship, such great love, such great friendliness, such great community. Some of you have been members of this church together longer than I have been alive. And that's so cool. What a grace of God to give that to you. To give that to us. To give you that kind of longevity, that kind of love and care and deep bond with the other people in this room. That's huge. That's rare. That is a gloriously good thing. But in light of that, there's one thing that we can't do. We can't batten down the hatches. We can't shut the doors and say, you know what, this is enough. No more. This is good. I've got all the friends I need right here in this room. New people, you don't don't really have to show up. That's fine. Do we know how silly that sounds? You know what? Christ probably has all the worshipers he needs. I I don't think he needs any more. At least not here. At least not in this room. He can find them somewhere else. We don't need them in here. We don't need new people. If he wants more, then he can, he can go over there to the next town. That sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? Now, the, the God who is infinitely holy is deserving of all praise, of all worship, for all peoples to worship him. The new and the old, all who are far off and all who are near. That's who Christ came to preach the gospel to. He is worthy of all praise and should be praised by all of his creation. So let's fit more of that creation in here. There is more out there. Let's bring it from out there into here, into the church, into this church, into fellowship with us and with Christ that they might grow and be as he is to worship him as they should, to give him the glory he deserves. Let's go get them. We know on the last day there are, going to be, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered before the throne of God. And he has called you, his church, to make that happen. He's not content with only reaching white, middle-class adults. He would have every race worship him. He would have every class worship him. He would have every age group worship him. So let's bring him those worshipers. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every town. That's where the gospel should be preached. That's what we as His church must do. Let's bring Him those worshipers. Let's bring them into the body of Christ to know Him and love Him and each other the way that you were brought in. Think about if people beforehand would have said that about you. Like, yeah, I don't really need them here. Think about the effect that would have had on you, not just now but particularly in eternity. We have to be those people who are going out and getting him. This church has been faithfully fulfilling the Great Commission since 1894. 1894. Don't let today be the day it stops. Don't let our day be the day in which Pleasant Grove Baptist Church shuts its doors. Don't let our day be the time in which people say, you know what, they used to be nice and loving and welcoming, and they're just not anymore. Don't let our day be the day and time where Christ says, you know what, I'm going on to the next town. Let the time be here. Let the place be here. Fulfill his great commission. Preach his words. Now, if that happens, if we do as Christ did, if we go on to the next town to preach there also, that's going to mean some things for us, right? If there are more people in this room, everyone in this room has a little bit less say, just a little bit less authority, just a little bit less responsibility. When I was single, I knew where every single dollar that ever was spent was spent. I had a chart, I had a bank account. I checked it daily. There wasn't a dime that wasn't spent by me for the purposes which I intended. And then I got married. And now, not often, but every once in a while, I'll look at the accounts and say, what was that? I'll say, don't worry about it, it was a gift. Okay, and that's okay. I'm a better gift giver now than I was. (laughs) Because I have less authority now than I did. It can be a good thing to not have as much say. And that's something that might happen if we start having more people in in this room, in this church. It might mean that we don't get to sit or gather where we always have. It might mean that we don't have our spots anymore. I was... uh, reminded by some friends recently, who we had over for dinner. Uh, they told me a story about visiting, not this church, was not this church, but a different church in town. And they said that they were in a small group and they were sitting there and someone walked up, stopped in front of them, looked down and said, well, I guess we'll sit somewhere else this week. <laughs> and then we walked off. And they said, we, we never went back. Why would you? Let that never be said of this church. You may have sat in that pew, in that spot for a really long time since this room was built. Maybe that same pew in the old rock church which was in the same spot. But it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. This is Christ's church. These are his pews. They can sit where they want. That's something that might have to happen. Christ heals the many, so let's trust him to do that. Let's be fishers of men and bring the thirsty to the living water, which is never going to run dry. Let's preach the gospel just like he did, because that is why he came out. He came to preach. It says in the end of 38 and 39, that may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all, throughout all Galilee, preaching the synagogues and casting out demons. His ultimate goal, the reason he walked around for three years before going to the cross, after he started his ministry, was to preach. He came to bring the message, and in so doing, he accomplished his work. The gospel message of Christ is the highest goal of Christ that he had on his earth when he was incarnate. So we should be forming our lives, our message, our work around that same message. The Son of God came out of heaven to preach to you. Won't you hear him today? Won't you let them hear him today? Christ came to preach. That's why he came out. That was his focus. That was his work. The fifth reason, the final reason from this text that we'll see why Christ came was to clean the unclean. He came to make clean the dirty. He came to make the unclean clean. Verse 40, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. See, a leper would have been someone who is not only gross, but also unclean according to the law. Leprosy is a disease that causes the skin and sometimes even extremities to just fall off the bottom. It just rots away from the outside in. It's gross. It's kind of weird to look at. It's not fun to be around. And in this time, in this place, they would have been spiritually, ritually unclean under the law of Moses. Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, tells us the, the ramifications of being someone who has leprosy. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That's who came to Christ. His dwelling was outside the camp. And Christ was outside the camp. Christ was outside the city. He came to Christ. He knelt before him. This gross, unclean, spiritually outcast person came to Christ, imploring him. He kneeled before him. He humbly asked him for just the slightest kindness, the slightest grace and mercy from Christ, who will make the unclean clean. Notice what he asked. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't say I don't know if you can do this or not, but if you can, then do this. He said, if you will, then make me clean. If you will, he come to him and say, well, doctor, I've uh, heard of your work primarily on demons and fevers up to this point. Um, I was referred to you by uh, Dr. Jedediah in Nazareth. He said, this is outside of your area of expertise, but he thought that you might be able to either help me or refer me to someone else, so I wanted to see if you can help me. He said, no, you can. You can do it. Will you? Will you? His question is not if he can, but if he will. And how often is that not our question? We doubt not the power of God, but the goodness of God when we ask that. I know you can do this, you have all power, but will you? I know you can heal me of my spiritual sickness and sin, but will you? I know you can save that person, but will you? How often do we ask that? The question is not about his strength, but about his goodness. And we see from the story that Christ will. Verse 41, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will Be clean. He was moved with pity for his unclean child. The outcast had come to him begging to be made clean. He has compassion on the one who is sick, and he touches him. Okay, don't miss that detail. To touch one who is unclean was to make you unclean. But not so with Christ. When he touches the one who is unclean, it cleans the one who is unclean. He is not made dirty by your dirt. He is not made sinful or sick by your sickness. He is not made any worse by healing you. But you are made infinitely better. You are made like He is. A touch from Christ can heal all wounds, and a touch from Christ can cleanse every spot, and He will. He's willing to enter into that pain, into that sickness, into that hurt, into that dirt, and to make it clean. He will. And he doesn't just stop there. He continues to care even after he heals. Verses 43 through 45. And Jesus certainly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He's not done when he heals. He continues to care. After a person was healed from leprosy in the Old Testament, they still had things to do. Even when the leprosy was gone, they had to come before the priest to make offerings. Leviticus 14, verses 19 and 20. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. That was after the leprosy was gone. They still had atonement to be made. They still had rituals they had to perform in order to be considered clean within the law. But Christ doesn't ask him to make atonement. He asks him to show proof. He doesn't say, go, show yourself to the priest, and let him atone for you. He says, go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a proof to them. He says, no, you are clean. I have made you clean. A single touch from me has taken away any uncleanness within you, but that they may know, go. Offer the offering. Let them pronounce you clean within the law. Christ, the great high priest, has already cleaned them more than any priest ever could. And he's prefiguring his own atonement on the cross in that cleansing. He has made atonement for the leper, and he's giving that atonement to the leper. And it's not enough for him just to heal him and then leave. He heals him, and then he gives him instructions for how to be introduced and reintegrated back into the people of God. He continues to care for him after he heals him. Healing wasn't the end of his involvement. He wants to continue growth and acceptance of the one who was healed. That is the natural form and function of the Christian life. That you are healed and then grow in your acceptance and grace and fellowship within the church for the rest of your life. That Christ who healed you is not merely wanting your healing, but also wanting your acceptance, your growth, He has compassion even after he heals. That's why Christ came. Christ came to teach with authority. He came to conquer the spiritual forces. He came to heal the body. He came to preach the gospel first and foremost. And he he came to make clean the unclean. He came for so much more than this. But he certainly didn't come for less. He came to do those things and be those things. For his own glory... And for you, his people. That you should hear his teaching with authority and follow it. To make that the trajectory of your life. He came to conquer the spiritual forces in you that you need not be controlled by. He came to heal your body, not only on this day, but ultimately on the last day. He came to preach the gospel to you. To accomplish his work, to give you himself, and that you might be saved in him. He came to make clean you who were unclean. That's why Christ came. And his coming is good news. It's worth celebrating, not just from December 1st to December 24th, but every day, all year round. His coming is good news. It's the gospel. It's for all who hear to turn from their sin and to be cleansed by him. And even if you already are his, you should remember anew today. Not only that he came, but why he came. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the numbers, Lord. Thank you for your coming. Thank you for coming and giving us your teachings today. It's not just words, the works of the Lord. Thank you for coming to conquer the spiritual forces. Thank you for coming to heal our bodies, not just today, but on the last day. Thank you for coming to not only preach, but to accomplish your gospel, that we might hear it, turn, and be saved. Thank you for coming to make clean that which is unclean, because, God, we are unclean. We have no cleanness apart from you. So cleanse us, wash us with your blood, give us robes which are white as snow. In Jesus' name, amen.